With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by CLNS Media. Uh, My brain is a little bit scatterbrained right now because... Cole and I decided to do a podcast right around 12 o'clock Pacific time on Thursday. And, you know, we figured we would talk a little bit about the draft because he went to go see USC in Washington last night. We figured, you know, maybe we'd talk a little bit about Anthony Davis. And then right as we get ready to record, within the hour that we get ready to record, uh, it comes out that the Lakers and the Pelicans have spoken about Anthony Davis. It comes out that Christoph Porzingis apparently wants to get traded and the Knicks are actually willing to consider this option. So I'm a little bit all over the place right now. Cole, how you doing? I'm doing well. Kind of an influx of information coming on right now. I was expecting to talk about the Lakers and seeing the deal. I think Turner reported this from L.A. being like L.A. is willing to deal all the pieces. So Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma, we kind of knew that already. So that was just kind of confirming what we already thought. And then this Knicks news hit the wire and it's kind of fucking crazy, man. So <laughs> where do you want to start with all of this? I... I- don't even know because it's they're weirdly intertwined in a lot of ways too because the Knicks want Anthony Davis. Uh, apparently, Kristaps could be an offer from the Knicks to the Pelicans. Like, where where do you want to start if we're going to go down this road? Let's start with the Knicks. I think we kind of have to because right now is the bigger news just because it was more unexpected. I mean, we didn't expect it to be the Knicks are going to entertain discussions of moving Kristaps before the deadline. It was more like for Anthony Davis, and now it seems like that could be expanding to other teams teams and just be a directly in a vacuum thing like they could just move Chris Apps without even involving Anthony Davis right and that's just to me when I look at the Knicks in general here and the way that they have handled Christoph Porzingis over like the now now four years that he's been there it drives me crazy so like two years ago or maybe it was like 18 months ago or something like that now you have Phil Jackson just like going on TV and saying, yeah, we're willing to listen to offers for Kristaps Porzingis. So you just piss off your franchise player right there anyway, because your you know, general manager, president of basketball operations is a moron uh, and didn't know what he was doing here. Uh, and then additionally, you have this scenario where. Uh, where now you're willing to move him before he hits restricted free agency because maybe you don't want to pay him. Maybe you um, just don't really believe in him, you know, his injury history. I, I don't really know what the Knicks are thinking here, I guess. what Like, to me, they've just mismanaged all of this and they let it get out as well. Like, Adrian Wojnarowski is the one who reported this. I mean, just like based off of, and like, I don't know who Woj's source was, but like, I would speculate it was probably, um, you know, Kristaps' agent, Giannis' brother. But like the secondary part of that is what's fucked up. Like the Knicks are expected to commence discussions on moving him ahead of next Thursday's deadline. If you're the Knicks, how do you let that 
get at, how do you let that be the end of this conversation whenever you're talking to him? How do you believe that you're at a stage where, you know, I'm willing to trade Kristaps Porzingis because, uh, you know, we're, we just don't, you know, we're willing to hear offers on this and we're willing to commence discussions. Just go to Kristaps and say, hey, you're our guy. We want to pay you in the offseason. We want to, you know, be able to, you know, build around you long term. Yeah, we're still going to be in on Anthony Davis, but we still want to we still want to be your guy here. It's just in it's just the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, you have to manage the conversation and I don't want to say do damage control like outright, but it, it does build into the calculus as far as how the public hears this like. For example, the Kawhi Leonard trade with DeMar DeRozan, um, Masai Ujiri wasn't coming out and saying, we're going to trade DeMar. Like, it was kind of a surprise at the last minute. It surprised DeMar. But that's kind of how you have to deal with things. You have to manage it publicly and manage expectations that way and control the narrative. And if you're not controlling the narrative in Kristaps' case, and you're just going to let this leak, it just looks bad for your franchise. It looks like you can't manage your franchise player. You're not in good communication with them. You've mistreated them, all of that stuff. So I think there's just a lot the Knicks could have done here better publicly. And I, I get that it's a very difficult conversation to have. Like, are they really sold that Porzingis is their guy? Maybe they're upset with the way they, they've interacted with their agent and like some reciprocal interactions there whatnot i have no idea what the behind the scenes issues are but what they can control better is how this gets delivered to the public and they didn't do a good job of that yeah you just can't let this stuff get out period like that that's just how you piss off your best player your, piss, your best player is already pissed off you have a 23 year old who like i mean i, I don't know what you think of Kristaps. i mean maybe that's maybe that's where we should go whenever we start to talk about like trading Kristaps and what that could look like. What do you think of him as a player? I mean, I think he's a high value get for a young player. Like there's obviously the medical concerns. You have to feel good about that moving forward for a seven, you know, two, seven, three guy with those kinds of injuries. But I, I don't think he's necessarily a franchise player because I have a really, really high threshold for that. But he's he's a get for me. Like he's a hundred percent a get. I would go get him because I do think what he does on the floor is difference making. Maybe he's not the number one or the number two player on a title team, but I think he can be like a top three guy on a really high level team. So that you have to factor that into the calculus. I think I think that you have to trade something of value. You have to get something of value for Chris Epps. This isn't something like he's a prospect who hasn't proven himself. He's actually proven himself. So yeah, if I am looking at Kristaps, I legit think he is like a potential Hall of Famer as a ceiling. Like that that is his ceiling to me. I don't know if he'll get there, especially after the knee injury. But talent-wise, that is the road that he was on. He averaged 23 points and 7 rebounds while shooting 40% from 3 as a 22-year-old and blocked 2.4 shots a game and has developed into one of the best rim protectors in the league. There are questions about him out in space. There are questions about him throughout his lower half and being able to establish rebounding position. I get all of that, but that's the trajectory that he was on prior to the injury. So... I look at him as if you're building a title team, I think he's like the number two guy on a title. Team. And that guy is incredibly hard to find. Like he is going to be a top 25 player in the NBA if he continues to go down this road with his health. He's valuable. I, that's 100. It's again, not a situation where you're not sure how he fits into the modern game as far as value. He's not one of these prospects like a Dennis Smith, for example, who might have upside, but he hasn't realized it yet. He already has shown in his rookie year. He was incredible 
in his rookie year. Like that can't get lost in translation here. Like he translated immediately. He was high level. This is a guy where you know what you're getting if he's healthy. And that guy impacts winning to an extent. I don't, I don't know about number two on a title team. That's completely within the realm of possibility. That's the kind of guy we're dealing with, though. It's not just a prospect who's a prospect. He's a guy. He's a young, like, all-star level player who I think can actually impact winning. Yeah, like, Kristaps is a dude. Like, he is not yes. uh, He is not Jalen Brown level in, like, trade discussions. He's not, um, Correct. you know, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball level. Uh, he he no. is, to me, prior to his injury, I mean, Kristaps is probably, what, one of the 20 best trade assets in the NBA? It's definitely arguable. I mean, I, I would I would think so. I think I think that the guy the guys who do trade value art or articles and stuff like that would probably have him there. So absolutely. Right. So that it's just like I'm looking at this and if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm furious with the front office, first and foremost. Um so if if you're <laughs> this throws off a lot in terms of building if you're the Knicks, because I feel like the only way that you can continue to go to, while trading Christoph Porzingis and continue to go down the road that you want to go down in terms of trying to lure free agents, which seems like their goal this summer, is you have to trade him for Anthony Davis, right? Otherwise, who, who are you appealing to this summer, right? Yes, I mean... I'm not trading Chris Stapps for – I wouldn't trade him for Jalen Brown, personally. I, I think Jalen Brown's good. I, I don't think he's difference-making, and I think that Chris Stapps can be. I, and again, I should solidify my point on Chris Stapps as far as – I don't think he's like this generational like top-five player, but I think he's damn good. I think he's probably like a tier-two guy, and that's still like an incredible get. But yeah, if you're the Knicks, you have to, you have to trade him. If you're going to move him, you have to get him for someone like Anthony Davis, I think. That's the only trade that really makes sense. And, and we have to contextualize this, too, for Knicks fans. This this is like the best thing that's happened to Knicks fans since like Linsanity, but it's really the best thing that's happened to Knicks fans in probably like 15 years is getting a player like this who's actually like a potential difference maker. So you can't just move him from a narrative standpoint in the media and whatnot if you don't get somebody really fucking good in return. Yeah, and look, like at the end of the day, I don't really blame him for being pissed with the Knicks. Like I said sure. at the beginning, they've mismanaged just dealing with him throughout his career. I mean, to start with Phil Jackson and then continuing down this road, I know that he's pissed right now because, you know, he's hurt and this team is not very good around him. Like, remember, I came into the season saying that I thought the Knicks had the worst roster in the NBA just without Kristaps on it. So, like, I, I get why he's angry. I do. He is a legit all-star level player that is stuck on a roster that doesn't have much. I get why he's doing this. But if I am the Knicks, it is damn sure almost impossible for me to imagine dealing him for like anything less than a very, very, very strong package. Like if if I like so like you brought up Boston to me, if I'm Boston, I'm in on it. I'm calling New York right now. Um, Jalen Brown plus like the Memphis pick plus something else is the offer to me for Chris Stops. Like it, it has to be extensive if I am willing to trade Chris Stops Porzingis. Um, who, who are some of the other teams? Like maybe you could say Dallas should get in on Chris Stops. Like I, I don't know if Dallas has enough to get him if you don't include Luca, which you shouldn't. So like I, you can't I think trade Luca now. Yeah, like I, I think that that's. That's kind of the asset value that you're talking here, even with the injury, even with the fact that you have to pay him. Yeah, I mean, Dallas pops just because you know Dennis Smith's available, but that's not fair value. That's not even close to fair value. Uh, you could throw in everything Dallas has. Like, I think Maxie has been <laughs> probably their second best player this year, and that's his restricted rights aren't going to get it done. If you aggregate all their assets, and they already owe their pick, top five protected, I don't know if you can get there. Again, you have to 
make a very, very convincing offer. I wouldn't even take, if I'm the Knicks, I wouldn't even take Jalen Brown plus the Memphis pick. I don't think that's enough for me. Um, I get it because you're getting more certainty. Like Jalen Brown's not injured. He's a wing. I, I can see the logic behind it, but I want to tear ahead of that. I, I want something that gets me like a potential difference maker in return. Maybe not like a Zion in return, right? Because that's, I mean, I don't think you're going to get that, but something to tear down from that. I think you have to get some player like that unless you just get the star like Anthony Davis. You know, the, the Brooklyn thing, so Adrian Wojnarowski just tweeted out uh, all of the potential teams that are going to reach out to Kristaps, you know, among the others, right? Brooklyn, the Clippers, Miami, uh, San Antonio, and Toronto. Like the Brooklyn Nets kind of stand out as interesting to me. Like if the Knicks were willing to trade within the city, which seems like a bad idea um, just in terms of their public relationship. But like the Nets have really interesting pieces to go get Kristaps. Like I look at them. I don't know that they quite have enough to go get Anthony Davis, but Kristaps like is kind of in their wheelhouse in terms of value. I mean, they have some intriguing young pieces. Jared Allen, Karis Levert, if they were willing to move off Levert, that would be the guy I think I'd probably want. D'Angelo is going to get expensive really quickly. So while he has played a lot better of late, he's been like on an all-star surge the last three he's weeks awesome. or so. He's been awesome. He's been great. Yeah, so I, I could see them talking themselves into him, but it's not going to be just him. Like You're going to have to give Jared Allen. You're going to have to give another piece, but that is really intriguing. I, I do think that the point you hit on was the most important here. It's really hard to see them making the trade. <laughs> the Nets and the Knicks making a deal and Chris Stapps being in the shadow of the Knicks and the media. That just seems like a pretty hard sell. And like the Spurs, I, I don't know that the Spurs can get this done. Like I, I love the idea of him in San Antonio. San Antonio yes. has been interested in him for a long time. I just don't know that they have enough. Like, I, I don't think I'm taking, you know, you and I really like Derek White, and we wanted to talk about Derek White on this podcast. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get to that. But, like, <laughs> we, we wanted to talk about Derek White because we really have enjoyed what he's been doing. But, like, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, I mean, like, those guys aren't getting it done as the centerpiece of a deal, right? I don't think so, no. They don't, they don't have the move pieces. I think the Clippers on this list, if, if they're willing to include Shea, like that maybe gets the ball rolling here. Like that's the kind of prospect I think that you yeah. look at because he's shown enough. But outside of Shea for the Clippers, I don't see them. They don't have enough. Like Tobias, he's going to be a free agent. You know, well, Gallinari going back. They, they go actually ahead. do have an interesting one because they can do Shea and Gallinari and like a pick or whatever. And that maintains yes. them with two max cap spots this summer. Yes. And that's the kind of deal. Like I would think about that if I was the Knicks. Like with what Shea has shown and you need a point guard, Neil Akina is more of an off guard in my opinion. That would make sense. That's the kind of move piece though. Out of these teams like Miami, Josh Richardson. I really like Josh Richardson. I like Justice Winslow. I don't think those guys move the needle really for you. Uh, Toronto, Siakam, like if they are willing to include him, I think that that's something the Knicks could look at. But there's not a lot of like move pieces on here. I think Shea makes the most sense out of all these guys if the Clippers are willing to move him, which they haven't shown any inclination of their willingness to do. Right. And if you're the Clippers too, you would have to take salary back if you were trying to include Gallinari. Yeah. And that, that makes it difficult. So, like, you'd almost have to make it, like, Shea and Gallinari in a three-team deal where, uh, you know, they reroute Tim Hardaway Jr. or, you know, it probably has to be Tim Hardaway Jr. in that case, to a third team and add a pick to reroute Tim Hardaway Jr. So, like, it, it's it's hard because if the Clippers, I think that that is the goal here if you're the Clippers. You want to get Kristaps and maintain multiple max cap spots. That's, that's tough, I think. It's just really hard 
yeah. It, well, actually, it's, it's actually, really hard maybe, to review. Yeah, like I'm sorry uh, for interrupting. I'm just very scattered. <laughs> like this is a mess. Um, like maybe the move is like if you're the Clippers, you get Kristaps and then just shuttle Gallinari along somewhere else because Gallinari's actually been very good this year. Like I, I think that him on 20 yes. this year and 20 next year, to me, that's not a that's not a deal where you have to add to it to get rid of him. I think you could actually move him for like a pick. And that would be fine. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wonder from the Knicks standpoint, is that still enough? Is getting like a Shea and getting maybe a pick, is that going to be enough to move the needle? I mean, Shea has been really good for a rookie, yeah. but I don't know if he amounts to what Chris Stapps could be. You know what I mean? No, so, I agree. I don't, know if they, I don't know if they sell themselves on that deal, but that's like really out of these five teams, that's the deal that makes the most sense unless the Raptors were willing to include Siakam and they could probably get there because they had the ancillary pieces. Like the are uh, the the Raptors are super deep, so they could probably mix and match and get give New York more like ancillary pieces. I still don't know if I do any of these deals though, man. Like it's, it's to the point where I think I'd rather have Shea than I would Jalen Brown just for the cost control um, moving forward. But that's yeah. an argument. That's more of the same tier we're talking about. I, I still think you got to go in if you're gonna do this. You got to go in for a star first you got to go in for anthony davis first yeah so like i'm just like trying to run through teams in my brain like i I don't think the bucks could do it like the bucks like maybe the idea would be like brogdon is your centerpiece and that's not really enough right no um i mean the pistons like could could you make a case that um like a blake griffin for Kristaps deal I mean, you could make a case for it if that's the way the Knicks want to go as far as getting... I mean, it doesn't matter what we think of as far as value. It's like what the right. Knicks' goals are. If they want to be relevant or something, getting a player like Blake... Blake's freaking awesome. He's been great this year. So if you want to be relevant right now, at least you're getting someone who's like a legitimate star. Right. And, and if I'm the Pistons, I probably... Honestly, I, I don't know that I trade Blake for Kristaps. I don't know. That's tough. That's tough for me because I think Blake is like legit just better than Kristaps. Uh, just straight up and he's in his prime and you have him for uh you know under a cost controlled salary it's not a good cost control like he's a max player but you do have him signed for many years now um you want to deal with a restricted free agency this summer like i mean phoenix because they have ayton is probably not a move here and they're not moving ayton (laughs) right like i mean like i don't think the lakers are gonna chase christops at the expense of anthony davis um the Kings just have a million bigs. Like, could the Kings do Bagley and like Willie Cauley Stein? Yeah, like, I was just looking. Is at it the like Kings. Bagley and Possible. Buddy Heald? And that, I think that gets it done. Frankly, like with how well Buddy's played this year, if they were actually willing to do that, which I don't know if they're going to trade Buddy. Like he's, if you watch Kings games, everybody loves that dude. But yeah, that might actually get you in the conversation if they're willing to do that. Sacramento is actually interesting now looking at this. Like I think Sac, this is the kind of deal that if you're Sacramento, you probably try and chase because you have him under cost. Like you have him under team control with the restricted free agency rights. You give him the max qualifying offer. You have him for at least three more years. So that's it. That's an interesting one to pair him with De'Aaron Fox long-term. Like, I don't think that, I don't think you can do it without Buddy Heald. Could you do like Buddy Heald and like Willie and something else? Yeah. The only problem is then you can still pair Porzingis and Bagley. That's actually pretty dope. Yeah, I think that's an amazing combination. 
So maybe they sell themselves on that idea. I was just going to say they just had so many bigs. It seems like Bagley would be the natural guy going out. But it really depends, again, on what the Knicks want. I think another interesting team is Chicago with Wendell Carter. Because I know the Knicks, I think they're pretty high on Wendell. And I think you can make a, an argument for that if that's the direction that they want to go in. And, and the Chicago has some other young pieces that might uh, – like Chris Dunn might have some value to the Knicks. I, I don't really know. But that's one you can kind of sell yourself on a little bit. I doubt they would trade Lowry. But if they were willing to entertain that, you'd have to get some kind of an asset, some kind of a young prospect in that tier, I think, if you're going to do a move like that. This is like totally crazy, but I think the Kings still might be my favorite offer. It's – it marries two things. It marries like the logic behind getting a young prospect, and also you could just see your you could see the Knicks selling themselves on it pretty easily. So it's like a little bit more realistic, right? And like I think if you're the king, if you're the uh, if you're the Knicks in this scenario, you would rather trade him all the way to the West instead of having to deal with Boston and getting Jalen Brown instead of Buddy Heald is your centerpiece because you're probably not getting Tatum. I think we can feel pretty confident of that in this scenario. Um, like if you could get the Kings like 20, what would it be? 2020 pick plus Buddy Heald plus Willie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's on the table. I think another team, what about Denver? I mean, they're the team that's kind of like low key. They have a lot of assets <laughs> like Michael Porter. They could get into this if they really wanted to. Paul Millsap, of course, has a, a team option next year. So maybe they can fit Chris Stapps under their cap. I'm not really sure if that works out because you have to max Jamal Murray at some point. Probably not going to trade Jamal Murray. So but like, well, how do you, how do you get like, Chris Stapps then if you don't trade Jamal Murray? I mean, Michael Porter, maybe Gary Harris and picks. Maybe that gets you into the conversation. I don't think it might be good enough, but I, I do think that that might sell to the Knicks a little bit yeah yeah depending on what they thought about Michael Porter though that's the thing is like he's the ultimate wild card in this because we don't really know I mean obviously they passed on him so maybe they didn't feel great about his situation but maybe that gets you in the conversation yeah yeah I mean the fact that they passed on him at the expense of Kevin Knox is kind of yes. damning you would think um agree I mean Kevin's fine like I don't mean that like terribly but yeah I'm like weirdly in on the Kings <laughs> making this move like I, and the Clippers, I, I really like the Clippers idea too. If they're just set on moving Kristaps for whatever reason, um, but yeah, this is the kind of move the Kings should look at. I think. Yeah, and and this goes a completely different direction, and I don't think this is what the Knicks should do. But if I'm Memphis and I'm trying to get young prospects, if I could pair Jaron and Kristaps, that would just be absurd. I don't know if the Knicks would want like Conley back or Gasol back, but if if they want to win now, if they want to like re- redeem their culture or whatnot. If I'm Memphis, I'm making that call and see if I can. I don't even know if the salaries would ever work for that situation, but just conceptually as an idea, if I'm Memphis, I definitely make that call. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, the last, while we, you know, this will act as kind of an easy transition, right, into where we have to go with Anthony Davis next. So the way that I've always conceived of a Knicks Anthony Davis deal is you go get, um, is you hope you get number one. Then number one, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee for Anthony Davis. That clears just kind of everything that you need to clear in terms of the books, right? Allows you to chase yes. max cap uh, or a max free agent. It allows you to uh, it allows the Pelicans to get the best possible asset for Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson. That that's just always the one that's made the most sense. But if you're the Knicks and if you're the Pelicans here. Does a Chris Stapps, their number one, and Kevin Knox for Anthony Davis deal seem sensible to you? It 
does seem sensible to me. I'm not necessarily saying that I would do that without knowing if Boston's going to offer Tatum or whatnot. If I'm the Knicks, I would protect that pick top one. Um, that's what would be sensible to me. I, I don't know if I'd trade Chris Dabbs and the shot at number one via Zion for Anthony Davis. I, I'm, I just don't know. There's so much uncertainty if Davis could leave. I'm not giving up you know, cost control over Zion Williamson for arguably eight years. Um, when I think he can be the best player in the NBA potentially for that. So I would top one, protect the pick and I I would deal Chris Stapps though for Anthony Davis in that package. I think with Tim Hardaway added, you could throw in Knox, you could even throw in Nilakina. You could make the numbers work. I think that's actually a pretty damn good deal for the Pelicans. Unless you know for sure you're getting Tatum or you know for sure that you can get Davis to a team that has the number one pick. You know what I mean? Like this is not locked in stone. Like if Cleveland gets number one, like they're not trading for Anthony Davis when he's never going to stay there. Right. So there's, there is some uncertainty here. So you have to look at the present value of that trade. And I think if you're the Knicks and you're the Pelicans, if you're the Pelicans, if you can get Chris Stapps and you can get arguably a top five pick in this draft, along with Nilakina and Knox, for example, if they just went all in with their asset pool, I think you could easily sell yourself on that. Yeah. I guess like it comes down to what would be your opportunity costs, right? So your opportunity cost here is waiting. And would you rather have the, would you rather have Tatum as the centerpiece Tatum plus the Memphis pick plus a couple of other picks plus, you know, Marcus smart probably, or would you rather have Kristaps, you know, potentially the number three pick in this draft and Kevin Knox. And it's really tough too, because you also have to factor in, like, what if, you know, Boston, like, wins the title and they're like, actually, we're not going to deal Tatum. You know what I mean? Like, the, right. people can change their minds. And what if Kyrie's like, actually, I'm not going to stay in Boston. I'm going to go to L.A. Like, it's possible. So you have to weigh all these variables. It's not like something set in stone. So even if Boston secretly tells the Pelicans somehow that they're like, yeah, we will offer Tatum in the summer, things can always change. Things are fickle sure. in the NBA. You can't, you can't predict them four months in advance. So that's something you have to factor in if you're the Pelicans, too. It's like, if we have a burden hand with this New York deal, and it's legit, like, you have to think about it because you don't know if you're going to get something better. Well, that's exactly what um, what I think the Lakers are trying to do and to transition into that, right? They're just basically saying to the Pelicans, hey, we have this deal on the table for you right now involving Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Evita Zubak, and this, you know, what will probably be a top 20 pick in the NBA draft this year. Like, this is, this is something you can do right now. Uh, you know, you will have certainty that this is what you can get right now. I, I think that that's why they're trying to pressure and letting all of this stuff leak. They're essentially trying to get the Pelicans to go, oh, well, okay, we don't know what's going to be there in the summer. We should do this. It, it's obviously to me and like, uh, Magic Johnson said, uh, or I guess like the report is that Magic Johnson said this deal might not be there in the summer. Uh, we're not going to negotiate with Boston. Um, yeah, you are. Like, just call that bluff. Oh, like, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, like you're, you're going to still try and get Anthony Davis. So I think that that's what the Lakers are trying to do here with this potential move. Oh, 100%. They're definitely trying to put the onus and the pressure right now because they know they have a deal that can be consummated right now, unlike Boston. It's just really interesting to compare the Lakers offer to the Knicks offer. Like, I think I would take the Knicks because when you when you look at the Lakers, you have to pay Ingram in a year. I don't know if he's shown enough, and he's going to get paid. I mean, he's a pedigree guy. He's a wing. Somebody's going to pay him. So you have to look at from that standpoint. I like Lonzo Ball. I think he's pretty damn good. I don't know if he's a difference maker, especially if you don't have the elite stars around him. So if I'm making a deal with Anthony Davis, I want to get a difference maker in return. I want to optimize my chances of doing that. And I think Chris Stapps gives you higher upside than anybody in the Lakers offer. If the Knicks are willing to trade it an unprotected first, obviously, I think that definitely tilts it towards them, even though it's a small percentage chance they get it. 
But that's the mindset I have if I'm the Pelicans. I'm not trading. And I think the Lakers deal, honestly, for star caliber deals, it's not like unfair. People like hate the Lakers deal. Like this is a shit deal. I don't think it's a shit deal. Like yeah. if you look at history, like it's fine. Like they're trading a lot of, you know, potential starters and young guys. Like that's a good return for a star. But I think the Pelicans could probably do better in this situation. Yeah, no, I think that like there was that report earlier today from ESPN that, uh, you know, the Lakers were or the Pelicans were picking up everyone's calls except for the Lakers. The reason I think that's silly is just because I actually do think the Lakers have like a very real offer like you do. Uh like that, that is an offer that could, at the end of the day, uh, be the best offer for them. Like if the Knicks end up moving Kristaps somewhere else and they don't get the number one pick and then Boston, for whatever reason, you know, they find out that Kyrie's not going to resign and therefore Anthony Davis isn't going to resign and they think that they need to just start, you know, building this thing around youth going forward. I get why that is their move as well. I get why their move would be, hey, we're not going to trade Jason Tatum here in this deal for Anthony Davis because we think that we're actually kind of worried about our future long term right now. So I I get all of this. I actually think that there could be a world where the Lakers have the best offer. It's just it's likely right now, I think, though. But if you're the Pelicans, I think you have to explore all of the potential options on the table, at least. A hundred percent. And I think if the Lakers had Jason Tatum, this deal would be done right now if they were willing to trade him, because then you're like, OK, we're going to take the bird in hand for sure, because right. we're, well, we're yeah. getting a potential difference maker. And the deal can't be done right now because of Kyrie's Rose rule deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying if the Lakers had drafted Jason Tatum number two oh, yeah, 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 in yeah. some alternate universe, if they had that piece, I think that this is a done deal. The, the problem with the Lakers deal is you, you look at it and it's really solid. Again, compared to most star level deals, like we're not getting the Paul George for Victor Oladipo win win. Get that level of player that this doesn't really happen normally for star deals or whatnot. We're looking more like we're getting a bunch of different guys who might hit but don't have the same level of upside or likelihood of reaching that as a Jason Tatum. So if the Pelicans really do feel like they're not going to get an opportunity to get the number one pick, New York has the best odds right now, but it could easily be Cleveland. It could be Chicago. Anthony Davis has already said he's not going to Chicago. People can't treat this like, oh, we're going to wait for the number one pick and, and as like it's going to be a certainty because it could go to a team that is not going to give you Anthony Davis. Like if Phoenix gets the number one pick, I mean, Anthony Davis would never stay there, right? So that puts them off the table. And then you're really just putting all your eggs in the Tatum basket for, for Boston. And maybe that does work out, but maybe it doesn't. I think that people have to, to sort through all the outcomes here. It's not just hard line. We wait until the summer. We're getting this player or this pick. We're getting Zion. We're getting Tatum. Things can change. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I'm definitely, oh my God, Dallas is nearing a trade to acquire Kristaps. How? How is right. Like it has to involve Dennis, right? Like a hundred percent has to involve Dennis. And he's, I mean, oh God, like I've, I'm a Dennis fan, but my goodness. What? And the Mavericks have agreed to take on the contracts of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee. That's how they're doing this. Yeah. Shams is reported. It is Dennis Smith. They're <laughs> using Kristaps to dump Hardaway and Courtney Lee. Oh no! Oh, that's it's it's. Uh, it looks like Mark Stein is saying Dennis Smith, DeAndre Jordan, and Wes Matthews, which are expiring deals. Oh my God! Is there any picks involved? Like it has to be a future pick, of course. It has to be in 2021. The Knicks would also receive future first round draft compensation from the Mavericks, um, and then they get max cap space. Um, fucking bravo, Dallas here. And again, I, I like Dennis. 
but you're getting Chris Stapps to pair with Luca in like a pick and pop situation. Good luck with that. They're legit using Chris Stapps to dump Hardaway and Lee. <sighs> they better. I mean, I don't even know where to start with with the Knicks. And we're reacting to this in live time, as everybody can tell. It's kind of like this is a little bit overwhelming. But you better be fucking certain that you couldn't have gotten Anthony Davis for Chris Stapps if you're making this trade. This is kind of this is crazy to me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> my brain is. Oh my. I'm just like laughing. Like, I don't even know. This is a joke. This is a total joke. We were just talking about, yeah, we don't think Dallas has enough to get it done. I assumed that, you know, the the Knicks were not stupid enough to use him just to dump uh, Tim Hardaway and Courtney Lee. I mean, who is, so if you're Kevin Durant now, and if you are the New York Knicks, and you're trying to convince Kevin Durant to go there in the summer, who do you have to pitch? Like, what what is your uh, pitch to Kevin Durant? Yeah, I, I got nothing for you. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Is your, is your I, pitch, you hey, we're in New York, you'll get to play in Madison Square Garden, but we're probably going to backstab you at every single venture because that's what we did to Kristaps. And, oh, wait, uh, you know, we have the most incompetent owner in sports, and we don't really have a great uh, situation here in terms of ownership or in terms of the front office. So, hey, come join us. I don't even know what the pitch is. Like, come play with Dennis Smith, Kevin Knox, Frank Nilakina, and one other star. Like, who the hell else is going to come? Uh, I, I don't know, man. This is this is mind-boggling to me. I just don't even know how how you are the Knicks and how you do this. They are using a potential Hall of Famer to clear dead salary. This is what's happening. Yeah, unless like they huh. they they have to so know weird. that they're getting Kevin Durant. Like that's how this has to work right <laughs> in an ideal world yes i mean if we're just using just straight logic and straight reason like they have to have an incentive to do this but it could just be that Dennis smith had a triple double in the garden last night and they're like oh let's get somebody for chris Stapps, and that's what they did and the doc I rivers no idea- <laughs> the hey, doc rivers exactly hey, the doc rivers went for 20 on us let's go sign him <laughs> it's just crazy that that's how this went down in this order of operations like last night dennis like that it, like again it was it was a fine game but it wasn't like he completely blew the doors off everybody that's just yeah i mean i don't really know how you justify this if you're the knicks from that perspective like uh, the, the dallas thing is is very obvious but the, the knicks part it doesn't make rational sense to make this trade right now especially like we're not even you know we are a week away from the deadline you got to explore it a little bit right i mean maybe they thought they weren't going to get better than dennis but i think you would yeah you have Seven days until the deadline. You have a real amount of time to see what else is out there. And this is what you go for? Like, you, I get I know that there are points, like, that, you know, it's possible they were discussing Kristaps with other teams, right? Like, I guess that that's yeah. a real thing, right? Like, they could have been discussing Kristaps before all of this happened. Sure. But just the passage of time and leverage and, you know, hey, we're getting down to the deadline. Maybe we'll make a panic move here. Like, that... That stuff is real. That stuff happens, right? So if you're the Knicks and this deal is on the table, how are you not at least waiting until next Thursday to do it? Yeah, that, I mean, that's the only justifiable argument I can find to this for the Knicks is like, you just wait it out. But maybe, like, this is the the best argument I can make for New York in the situation. Do they feel, like, just really bad about Chris Dass medical or something? Or are they, are they, is this an like an indictment of his medical moving forward. That's the only thing I can think of from their perspective. If they really think it's bad and they're like, okay, let's get Dennis while we can. Um, I don't know. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. 
Like, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think that that is a real thing. There are reasons that guys get traded, right? Like there are reasons that, you know, that aren't public that, you know, that's why this happens. Right. So I get that part of it, but again, this deal's going to be there in a week. Shop him a little bit more, you know, like figure out what's going on. Yes. And that's my like actual objective <laughs> analysis once all this came back is when we see this on the timeline, it's like the, the instant impulse is, is to overreact and be like, New York, what the fuck are you doing? But I do think just soundly, they should have waited and at least measured other offers. Maybe they already did that. Like you noted, maybe they did reach out to other teams, but it seems like they had more time and I get it. If it's for like a difference maker right now, if you're making this trade and you're getting somebody that, you know, like you're not probably going to be able to beat. I don't think Dennis is that guy. And I I wouldn't have made this trade right now, but I do think the medical, there has to be some element of that to this. And I say that trying to give the Knicks the benefit of the doubt a little bit. I'm not sure if that's a reasonable takeaway to have, but I don't know, man. This is just, this is a head scratcher. I am thrown. This is so like, this is off the rails. This is Jimmy Dolan being a total mess. Like, what are we doing here? What are, what what is happening right now? I feel like Jim Rome. What's going on? Oh my God. I like do we have the fi- do we have the final terms of the trade yet? I haven't looked for updated terms just to see like what the or what the protections are. Uh just kind of curious if that's been leaked. Uh I have not seen the final deal yet. Uh Okay. This is the the Knicks now have Dennis Smith Jr., <laughs> Trey Burke, Emmanuel Mudiay, and Frank Nilakina. It is yeah. the graveyard of past top 10 point guard picks past. <laughs> I will say though, like for me, Dennis is a clear notch above those guys as far as upside. Yes. I don't yeah, think, yeah, I think, yeah. I think like, that's a joke. I think that's Dennis a bad is, joke. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, it's, it's kind of accurate though, like for the most part. But I do think that Dennis has a different kind of upside. And I think him and Frank can play together. So that's something that's interesting in the backcourt. They could have two kind of ball handlers. I don't think Frank's a primary. <sighs> I don't know if I like Dennis running his own team though, especially in the garden. Um, <laughs> I, that's going to be a tougher sell, but the pieces don't, they're not terrible. I know that's not the, the takeaway of this trade overall. It's more about getting value for Chris Stapps and why the hell would you trade Chris Stapps when he's a much better prospect than Dennis has shown to be. But at least it makes some conceptual sense. They needed a point guard. I, I have no other way to spin this. <laughs> so uh, the funny thing is, this actually makes the Knicks better, like on the court right now, which means that it actually hurts their pick. Yeah. Because, like, getting DeAndre Gordon in Wes Matthews is better than, like, just what you were getting from Tim Hardaway Jr. I would be, honestly, I would be surprised if they didn't just release DeAndre Jordan and just play Mitchell Robinson big minutes. I I think that waiver wire candidate, I don't know if he's long for them, especially the way he's played this year. Do you really want him and his lack of defensive energy around their young guys? So I think he's a a definite buyout candidate, uh, just for for the record. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I think you're definitely right about that now that I think about it. Could um, they, a question for you though, could they flip Wes Matthews now though? That's another element to this deal for New York is they could yeah. trade him to another team potentially. He's at 17 million. Yeah. That's a hard deal to move. Like I, I just I don't know try. what other, cause you're obviously, you're not taking anything back other than an expiring deal. So like, I don't think yeah, that's true. so. So like, I, I just don't know who else is out there that would be, willing to do this like would would the 76ers be willing to move like wilson chandler and one of their minimum guys for west matthews like with a second round pick 
And that's a deal I would do if I was New York. Yeah, I think that that's the kind of thing I, I was. Yeah, you're, you're right. The, the main goal for New York is going to be maintaining cap flexibility. Of course, I mean they just trade Tim Hardaway Jr., so that should give us some inclination to their intent moving forward. So if they can get a second round pick and swap expiring contracts like that, I think that's something that Philadelphia should consider too. They need someone like Wes Matthews. I'm not the highest in this game this year. I don't think he's played overly well, but he's someone who can help them in the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's actually not a terrible deal for Philly. Or do you just like not move anything and assume that they're going to release Wes Matthews? I mean, that's that's the call. And does he come to, to Philadelphia if he is released? That's something they have to weigh and see what other contenders would right. be higher on the pecking order for them. But if they, if they feel like he wouldn't go to Philly, I, I don't see a problem with trading a second round pick. I mean, they have so many from Hinky, like we've talked about in past podcasts. So I think they can afford to deal one in the future. Yeah, but like the weird thing is, too, though, with like all of this, um, just talking about like Wes Matthews now um, in Philadelphia, particularly. I mean, like he's definitely better than Wilson Chandler. Don't get me wrong, but like they weirdly actually need Wilson Chandler to play like 15 minutes a night. Like the idea would be moving Wilson Chandler back from the minutes he plays now to kind of reducing them and still having him, you know, like he's still probably a semi-useful ninth man. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I just think it's something to consider. I don't know if Wes Matthews is long for New York, so there might be another move at play. I like to look at these things in like sequences and see what the Knicks could do next. Um, but yeah, it's just something to consider. So here's here's like kind of the next part of this. Do we think the Knicks know that Kevin Durant is coming there? I don't think so, for sure. Um, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they have a pretty good reason to suspect it because that would make this deal more justifiable in right. many respects but it's hard to can you really claim to know that for sure when there's still so many moving parts in the playoffs and if the Warriors win the title and what happens with Draymond I, I do think there's a lot of different elements at play here where you want to give the Knicks the benefit of the doubt but ha- do they really deserve it I don't think that they do uh it's Kristaps <laughs> Uh, Courtney Lee, Tim Hardaway for Dennis Smith, DeAndre Jordan, Wes Matthews in a pick. Um, and the Knicks, I guess, would have to add one of their minimum guys. Does that does that sound right to you? I'm looking for it right now. Sorry for the holdup. I'm trying to find who did you find that tweeted the final the final deal? KOC. Okay, so they got rid of they got rid of Courtney Lee in the trade too. So basically, they're unloading Lee's salary and um, Tim Hardaway Jr. Is correct? Is Lee's on the books next year? Correct? Yes. Okay, so this was. Very, very financially motivated then. Yeah, yeah, uh, Trey, Burke, Trey Burke is going to uh, Dallas too, it looks like. This is a this is a great trade for Dallas. Um, this is exactly what you want to do is use cap space to acquire a player, a difference maker like Porzingis. I know we haven't talked about Dallas much, but that's, I mean, this was a freaking home run for them. So yeah, let, let's talk about Dallas because, so they've essentially used three draft picks uh, to acquire Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, right? Because you're getting... Um, you're getting Luka Doncic for the two picks last year and then for the one pick this year as well as, you know, being willing to take on, what is it, probably $50 million. You're getting Chris Stops here, right? Um, yes. Because what, Courtney Lee for probably $18, 17000000 million left and then Tim Hardaway Jr. has what, f- probably 40 left, right? That looks right. Yeah, I'm looking at their contracts. Next year, Lee at 12.7, not, not factoring this year. I mean, I think right. you were. And then next year, Tim Hardaway... 18-1 and then player option which he's almost assuredly picking up in 2020 at 18-9 yeah so i love this deal for them this is really really smart obviously they lose a little bit like or they uh they don't take on all of that money because deandre jordan probably has 11 million left dennis smith has 
over the next two years, three years, what? What does Dennis have? Um, I think he, I mean, rookie scale stuff. So he has two years left. I think maybe like 12, what, like seven million. Yeah. Yeah. So like 12 million. So they're, they're taking on essentially like what? 25 to $30 million plus, um, plus giving up a pick for Kristaps. That's totally worth it. Like there's, there's no world where that's not worth it. Well, what they did is they just factored in their cap analysis and said, who are we going to get that's better than Chris Stapps for our cap space? And this is what I've always wanted the Mavericks to do, is, is make yeah. a trade like this instead of overvaluing their cap space because they ha- it hasn't worked for them. It hasn't worked for them with DeAndre, or I said DeAndre the first time. Last year and then getting DeAndre, I thought they could have done better than a one-year expiring contract for him. So this is what I wanted them to do. And they get Chris Stapps, they get his restricted free agency, and that that's more valuable to me than cast space. Like getting a prospect like this is more valuable than cast space to me. <laughs> Shout out Dan Dockich. Uh, as I told Ryan Russillo before the draft about Christoph Porzingis, bad eyes. If you draft him, you will regret it and never get out of the lottery. Most didn't understand oh bad God. eyes. So they ripped me. But as always, when it comes to hoops, I was 100% accurate. <laughs> uh, good God, dude. <laughs> I'm canceling the internet. That's enough. (laughs) (laughs) I love Dan Dockich. I love him. I love him to death. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that that exists. Good God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can we talk about about a Luka Porzingis pick and roll and how... You don't guard insane it. Insane. <laughs> that's going to be. That's, that. Oh my god! How can this happen? This is incredible. Yeah. So this is going to be so fun. I have no idea how you even come close to guarding that. Uh, so what? You have to. You can't really trap Luca. He'll just hit the cross corner guy. Tim Hardaway is actually like an awesome fit with Luca. By the way, he is. He's going to get shots up, dude. That's what he does. <laughs> yeah, like he can make open shots. Like you put him in that cross corner on the pick and roll, he is going to can those corner threes with ease. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, this is what he does. He's going to he's going to spot up in the corner. You don't want him, you know, running all the isolation stuff. You just put him in the corner. He's going to shoot. He's going to get volume shots up. They don't have a lot of real shooters on the Mavericks. That makes a lot of sense to me. How do you not get Maxi if you're the, the Knicks, by the way, just his restricted rights? He's like yeah. he's been the second best player on that team this year. Like that's I can't believe that Dallas kept him, too. And they're going to keep him long term because now they're going to resign their own guys. Like I think they're going to resign Finney Smith. He's actually been low key kind of important for them. This team's going to be really really interesting moving forward i there's a lot of interesting pieces now like maxi fits fantastically next to porzingis like that's an awesome four five pairing good you you know what like harrison's a really good fit here too like harrison again cross corner passes from luca he's hitting 39 percent from three this year like he's actually made a pretty nice little leap from three uh you know over the course of his career like i think he's pretty consistently like a 39 percent shooter from three now he can really shoot it off the catch you don't want him doing the yeah. isolation stuff you can't pass worth anything he drives me nuts as a player but like with luca this is going to be the luca offense now like now we're not even like sugarcoating it we're, we're running pick and roll basically every time um and at least have some real shooters around him so it makes a ton of sense i i Honestly, it's just hard for me to get around. Like we talked about, you know, pairing Luca potentially with like a Wendell Carter. That was never going to happen, probably in a Mavs trade. They kind of went out and got somebody like exactly what you want and pick and pop. Like it's like you can't really guard. You can't switch because Porzingis can shoot over the top of, of smaller players or medium sized players. Like if you give Luca that extra lane, he's going to be able to get to the rim better. It, it, this is a home run. Yeah, and like, look, Dallas is not going to be particularly good the rest of the year as well, which kind of helps them because their pick is top five protected, right? Uh, Correct, yes. So, 
uh you know their rotation right now is what like Jalen Brunson at the point Tim Hardaway Doncic Harrison Barnes and Maxi slash like Dwight Powell yeah I mean they're gonna be bad but I don't they're not gonna be able to catch some of these teams behind them I mean they're already 27 losses like the number five team has 34 the number four team has 40 losses so they're going to have to get some luck if they're going to keep their pick, just because I, I don't think they're going to be able to work their way that high, even no matter how bad they are. And, and they're probably going to go on a bad run. But these other teams are just way better at tanking, <laughs> like Phoenix, New York, Cleveland, Chicago. You're not catching those teams. You, I don't think they're even catch Atlanta, even though Atlanta is much better than them now. Well, I shouldn't say much better, but they're a, l- a little bit better than them now. That's going to be really interesting, though, if they can keep their pick in this class. But I think, honestly, they might just want their pick to be extinguish those responsibilities in this class and just move on and have all their picks moving forward it's funny uh uh, i'll shout out danny here uh danny uh shot me a little note uh danny larue shot me a note before this whole deal happened because we'd been talking about Kristaps, like you know what permutations of that deal would look at or would look like and he goes is there anything more nicks than them trading Kristaps and a first for anthony davis and then him leaving in 2020 yes them salary dumping him to Dallas. <laughs> yes. Them salary dumping him to Dallas is definitely worse. Oh my God. I can't on this. This is this is unbelievable. Dallas, this is awesome. This is home run, yes. Dallas. No question. Home run, Dallas. Um, I still can't believe the Knicks did this. They So this is either going to be the biggest feast or famine offseason for the Knicks ever, right? Because, you know, if you, I believe that they did this back in 2010, right? They tried to clear the max cap spaces to, you know, chase LeBron, chase Wade and Bosch and all those guys. And they ended up with Amari, which, you know, was, Amari was really good. He ends up getting hurt and, you know, it is what it is. But this is, they didn't ever make the leap. That That's kind of what this is. This is a total feast or famine move. This is not a sustainable, smart decision-making process, in my opinion. And the best organizations in the sport, in my opinion, are the ones that make smart, sustainable moves, not the ones that make these feast or famine moves. You have to look at it, to some extent, from a procedural standpoint. And what are the odds, what are the likelihood and way potential negatives and positives like it could happen that they get Kyrie and Kevin Durant and this conversation looks kind of dumb right if that happens I think you yeah. turn around and say and okay, Zion and, like they could easily yes, still, Zion. They get Zion Kyrie and Kevin Durant like that could yeah. be amazing and then, we look, and then they just conquer everybody and then we look like idiots on this podcast for insulting them but you have to at the same time consider the procedural effects too like there's a chance that that doesn't happen there's a, a high percentage chance that, that doesn't happen and I, I know that's why you asked like do we do they know now that Kevin's going there? Who, who the hell knows? But this is what now they have to do because they put all their eggs now in the free agency basket. And if, if it doesn't materialize for them, and especially if Chris Stapps becomes the player that especially you think he can and I think he could possibly be, that just looks really bad. Yeah, so the more that I really do think the Knicks like have to have some sort of indication, it, it basically has to be Kevin Durant, right? It. I think it does. I think it has to be that upper echelon guy. It, like if Kyrie went there somehow by himself, like that's, I mean, they just got Dennis, so they probably have to move him. But I, I don't know if that's, like, and Kyrie's been absolutely insane this year. He's been a, a top, like, 12 player, in my opinion. But I think it has to be from selling this to your fan base and selling the overall idea of the trade. I think it has to be, like, a true marquee guy. And, and Durant definitely carries that right. profile. Or Kawhi. Like, maybe it's Kawhi, and, like, then you get someone else to play with Kawhi. 
Kawhi and Durant? <laughs> that would just be could incredible, be, by the way. Could be Kawhi and Durant, yeah. But like, I think it has to be something like you get one of the six best players in the NBA. Otherwise, this is not worth it. Yeah, agreed. And especially if like the pick, again, coming from Dallas, has to be 2021 due to the Stepien rule. Is that unprotected? Like, what are we dealing with there? And Dallas is probably going to be good by then, considering how good Luca already is and how good Kristaps can be. You know what I mean? So that pick might not have a ton of value either. So I guess that like the the other part of this that I want to at least bring up is how much of this do we think is like, because like I said earlier, like, uh, you know, I, I kind of just assumed that Giannis Porzingis, uh, the aide, like Kristaps agent, you know, probably like leaked this to try and get Kristaps out, you know, makes sense. Right. But now that this like has happened, c- could the Knicks have leaked this to like make Kristaps look bad going out the door? And like they had been negotiating deals for weeks and then this came about and they got comfortable with it. And this is what happened. Yeah. I mean, that's a kind of, kind of a logical takeaway, I guess. I obviously we don't know. I don't know. For sure, but yeah. That, that's definitely something that should be at least brought into the conversation as a possible explanation for what occurred. Yeah. And I mean, like to an extent, I think that there is something just to be said for you might think that you're getting Kevin Durant right now I mean like for instance the I think the Lakers definitely thought they were getting LeBron at this time of the year last year right but there's a difference between thinking you're getting him now Kevin Durant going to win another title with Golden State and then think and then like getting him to sign just like you said at the top of this podcast things change a lot in six months sometimes they don't like you know there were rumors about LeBron going to Los Angeles you know for a year leading up to this Sometimes they do like, I, I don't know that, you know, for sure until this is until it's all done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think LeBron, that's, that's a really good point about us knowing that for a while, but I do think the situation was a little bit different as far as yeah. it was more of like a life decision. I, I'm not trying to insult the Lakers. Obviously they have the legacy and it, but it was like his kids are going to high school there or whatnot. So it's, or, or whatever level of school, <laughs> like it was more like, it seemed like it was like a life decision, like a family decision too. And so that kind of has to factor in like a business part too. So there was a lot of off court things with LA that appealed to LeBron long term. And you looked at the, like the, landscape of the league at that time i don't know how many destinations he could go to and really compete with the warriors right so it was kind of like let's go to la let's make a life choice and then we'll live this warriors era out with durant there's much more at play here as far as variables like you said i mean winning a title um if the warriors turn around and are like okay if you don't want to play with draymond we'll find a deal for draymond and you stay like there's just so many factors here that I mean, I, I guess in theory, they have to have a pretty good idea of what they think he's going to do, but that doesn't mean it's what he's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where do, do we have any final thoughts here before we move on? I mean, again, I just want to bring up the Dallas thing. I, I think this was just, yeah. a, this was great. This is great work by them, you know, taking can, on. Yeah. Good. I continue to think, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Conti- continue. I'm just like very thrown. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely thrown too, but I just, I, I tend to look at things more of like an impact standpoint, like how can it impact positively and putting Luca next to Porzingis, that's a legitimate one-two punch going forward that I think could actually be the foundation of a title team and doing that and what the cost was is taking on salary in 2019-20 and Dennis, who's not an ideal optimizing fit next to Luca. We've talked about that. It doesn't optimize Luca, Dennis being there. I think this is the kind of move you see great teams and great franchises make. And I'm not saying Dallas has necessarily been that, but this is what takes you to the next level here. So what I was going to say is this, like, I feel like we haven't talked enough about Dallas in this podcast. Like part of 
the thing is though that like it's a lot harder to talk about things that are just so incredibly obviously smart (laughs) yes like it's just very difficult to just go oh yeah like you know this is just genius like what what do we say there are only so many ways you can say this is smart this is genius this is incredible this is ridiculous this is terrific like you you can throw so many different permutations of that out there but like at the end of the day the fit is great the asset value here is great everything just makes sense with this deal and now um in two years whenever Luca is probably ready to win a title they're gonna be or maybe ready to win a title i shouldn't say probably on that um they're going to be in a place where they have Kristaps Porzingis and they have Luca and they have real cap space in all likelihood um, because Luca will still be on his rookie deal in that fourth year and Kristaps will be on his max deal. Um, and you probably just won't have all of these other guys, you know? So like they're setting themselves up big time for the long road here too. A hundred percent. And I think the point about it being obvious was spot on, but I also think some things aren't obvious and that's mostly contextualizing information. Like we already said that Porzingis could possibly be number two, number three guy on a title team. I think Luke is a one and how rare is it that we get that for young prospects? How rare is it that a team actually has like two foundational pieces that who can win the championship? And who are in their proper roles too. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I think that's the key here. It's not just the obviousness of the move, which is a very smart move by Dallas, clearly, but the ramifications on the league and Dallas as a franchise. I I think that's what really makes it a home run and being able to contextualize it that way and saying they have real pieces to win a championship someday. And that's something that, you know, for as much as I love like the Lakers, I really like the Lakers young pieces like they don't have a one. They don't have a two. It's very rare to have those guys. So, like, here's the other thing. So, I, I just want to go back to the Knicks, like, one last time. And, you know, I think that the way that some teams and the way that some people look at the NBA and look at asset valuation is they only think of things from the ceiling outcome, right? Like, we look at it with draft prospects all the time, right? Like, yeah. you know, people look at the positive of, you know, what R.J. Barrett could be. Right. Like, you know, RJ Barrett, he could be an all-star and they don't think about, well, you know, he's pretty selfish on the floor a lot of the time. And, you know, uh, defensively, there are some questions and he doesn't have a ton of wiggle. Like he's an advantage scorer. Like they don't think of the downside outcomes. They really only think of the potential upside outcomes. It's a logical fallacy that we see befall people within decision-making all the time. And I just wonder if that's what we're seeing with the Knicks right now. Some, it's just a very feast or famine decision-making style. It legit could work out for the Knicks. It, genuinely can work out for the Knicks going broke like this. But like, even if they end up with Kyrie, Jimmy Butler and like Cam Reddish, is that a, is that a win for them? Like with this deal? Like, does that, does that like, I guess it moves the needle forward a little bit, but then you're maxed out with, you know, like aging Jimmy Butler, Kyrie, and you know, a guy that people have questions about. So I I don't, I just don't, it, it's it takes a lot of options it it creates a lot of options this off season but it takes a lot of potential future options off the table 
and to your point, I think it depends on what your goal is as a franchise. Like if the Knicks want to be respectable, which they haven't been, that's kind of what was leaked today is like Porzingis is like, you guys aren't respectable. And you watched the game last night. That wasn't an NBA team on the floor. That was a JV team on the floor. So if you want to be a team that's actually good and, and can build forward, maybe Kyrie and Jimmy Butler, of course, accomplishes that. Those guys are top you know, 15 players in the league. So if that's your goal, sure. But if your goal is to win a title, no, because you're not aligning your cores. You're not going to be good enough to win with that core. You know what I mean? So it depends on what your goals are as a franchise. If they're just like, we got to get out of this purgatory or just being the laughing stock of the league, maybe that that definitely accomplishes that, getting players of that caliber. But if not, like I, I don't know how you can view this uh, trade as a positive. All-star Christoph Porzingis is planning to inform the Dallas Mavericks his intent to sign the qualifying offer in restricted free agency this summer. From Shams. Like, we already didn't have enough to talk about. Dude, what the fuck? So I'll say this. Like, if that is... That's just the biggest risk in the world for Kristaps. Like, that, that is... Yes. Not something that I am a fan of, if I would be in his case. Um, that, that seems very dangerous to me. Because he is a very injury-prone player. Like, we can just say that now. And if he gets hurt again, I don't understand what, like, what you do if you're him. Yeah, it's incredibly risky. I almost never take these kinds of statements at their face value because when you yeah. st- when you stare at a contract that is over I, I don't know what Dallas's offer is going to be but I assume they're going to max them out maybe we see some Embiid type of injury protection built into the contract but when you're staring at a contract that's you know over a hundred million dollars uh you're not going to take you know four and a half million and Albert Namad who's like the best cap guy on planet earth just tweeted that he's not going to meet the starters criteria so his qualifying offer is actually going to drop from seven and a half million to four and a half million so you're going to take four and a half million for one year instead of over a hundred million i just have a lot of questions about the viability and honestly the realism of that ever coming to fruition it's just a really really hard sell for me man yeah when he gets a hundred million dollars on the table in front of him i just don't see how he turns that down um maybe he will have we seen crazier things than that? I, I don't know nothing. that we have, to be honest. I don't know either, man. Like, I, crazy things happen in the league sometimes, but they don't usually involve money of this caliber. Like, when you're staring at $100 million versus $4.5 million, that, that would be a very crazy decision. Yeah. And, like, by the way, even if he does take this, it's still worth the risk for Dallas, I think. Like, it, it still makes sense to make this deal for Dallas, um, even if he informs them of this choice. Man, I get why, I get what he's doing. Like, it seems like, you know, after, after playing for the Knicks and having, uh, you know, like I said here at the beginning, he has just gotten so unfairly taken care of with New York. Like, I can't remember a star who has been handled worse by his singular organization that he started his career with. But I get the aspect that he would want to take on control over his own life. That's a big risk. That's a big risk in terms of how to do it. I think it's bullshit. I think this is posturing. I think this is like we just... He probably had negotiations with New York about contract and what exactly. And this is him basically saying, like, or his people saying, like, if you guys want to fucking play hardball, like, we'll just do this. Like, if we're not getting max money, 
this is an option. So I think there's some posturing here legitimately at play. This is kind of how it works a little bit. I, I, I don't think this is really real. I don't, I don't think this is actually what's going to happen. I think this is just like if you guys don't offer the max, if we're not getting exactly the terms that we want, we're going to put this you know, as a sword, as, as a threat to you. Yeah, I, I agree with you that I think this is, I will say this, like, you know, I've talked to Giannis Porzingis. He does not seem like a dude who really fucks around in terms of this stuff. Um, like he is, you know, he did seem like a, you know, a guy who does not like really full on like play games necessarily. Uh, but to me, I think that I agree that this is posturing. I think I agree with that. And I think it might just be to avoid playing around and like, we don't want to go through all of these, you know, hoops with negotiating contracts. It's like Chris Stapps has shown that he's a max caliber player in the league. Like, if you don't think that if that's not what we are getting via contract offer, then this is what the sword is. This is like the only point of leverage that the Porzingis camp has is to be like, we will take the qualifying offer, even though, again, it would be pretty unprecedented to pass up this kind of money. It will take some real foresight to see who ends up winning this in the long term. The best way to get foresight is with Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. Instead of heading to the doctor year after year just to renew your prescription for something you wear daily, you can do it on your own time and terms in just a few minutes. This is vision care for the 21st century. Why would you use Simple Contacts? It's convenient, it's fast, it's reliable, it offers choice, and it saves you money. The vision test is only $20. Uh, you know, Without insurance, that stuff can cost up over $200. The contact lens prices are unbeatable. Standard shipping is free. And best of all, uh, Simple Contacts is offering a promotion to our listeners. Uh, you know, Go to simplecontacts.com slash game theory 20. You're going to get $20 off of your first order of contacts. That's simplecontacts.com slash game theory 20, or you can just enter that promo code game theory 20 at checkout. Uh, remember, simple contacts is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Uh, you still got to go to doctor. You still got to check all this out. But Simple Contacts really is genuinely just a terrific thing. I'm going to have to make a Simple Contacts order very soon. Uh, and you should also make that order as well. Additionally, we are sponsored today by Mint Mobile. The big and big wireless provider stands for a lot of things. Big contracts, big bills, and big fees. What Big Wireless doesn't want you to know is there's a way to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Introducing Mint Mobile, the game-changing company that's taken everything wrong with Big Wireless and made it right. Mint Mobile makes it so easy to cut your bill down to just 15 bucks a month. You can even keep your old number along with all your existing contacts with any Mint Mobile plan. There's no more paying for unlimited data that you'll never use. And if you're not 100% satisfied... Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, plus free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card, go to mintmobile.com slash podcast. That's mintmobile.com slash podcast. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month and get free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card at mintmobile.com slash podcast. Cole, let's talk about the game you went to last night. You went to Washington, USC. Tell me about you going to Washington and USC. Any conversation now just feels like a gigantic drop off. Of what right. Was discussed and what just happened is like the blinking gif for like an hour and a half straight or whatever it was. But hey, hey I mean, you US talked about like two of the 20 best players <laughs> of the world for an hour. Let's talk about college kids. 
All right, so I have a, <laughs> I have some breaking news. Unfortunately, it's not going to be to that caliber of discussion. But um, it was. I thought it was interesting. Um, I was really fixated on Kevin Porter, of course, how he interacted with teammates, um, just sitting behind the bench and stuff like that. And it was fascinating to watch him. Like his interactions aren't great. Like his body language wasn't great. I do think a lot of that was driven by the officials who were goddamn terrible. It was one of the worst officiated games I've seen in like recent memory. Some of the calls were just outlandish, and I think that it really got to all the USC guys. Like their coach was absolutely in in his bag the entire game. He was yeah. so pissed off. But uh, from a takeaway standpoint, I think people got a chance to see Thibel, who's getting more hype recently. If you really watch his tape, he's really interesting. Like his defense is just absolutely absurd. His instincts, yeah. like he had seven steals last night. Um, he picked. Porter Jr. clean at the end of the game. He also blocked him to the point that like Porter fell down because he's got that seven foot wingspan, incredible length, incredible anticipation, did some stuff off closeouts, uh, hit one three, didn't shoot great from the floor, but makes really good decisions. So I think that's my main takeaway, seeing Thibault in person, watching him warm up. I think there's some shooting upside there. This guy's like a sub 80% career uh, free throw shooter, 78%. Um, I think he's like around 90 this year. Three-point shots dropped off a little bit this year. I think it's like 31%. But you watch his mechanics, pretty consistent there. I think he's a real guy. And then, yeah, I mean, you've seen KPJ in person. He doesn't get to do a ton on that offense. There's a lot of spacing to the corner. He's not involved in every kind of play. But he did have some nice attacks and like drop-off passes last night. Showed a little bit of feel. So that was good to see. But my overall takeaway from him was just the body language. He was just super frustrated last night. He... Looks very frustrated a lot of the time on the floor playing yeah. at USC. Um, it's not great body language. Um, what I will say is this. Uh, he's just so incredibly gifted. He is like still, you watch the flashes and the flashes are, this guy is one of the five most talented guys in this class. It's just consistency. Like you have to show consistency game in, game out. Exactly right. He's a flash player. You watch his handle, the hang crosses, the separation he gets is unlike anybody else in this class. Like, he just really, really dynamic live ball dribble game. And the shooting, I mean, low release point, it's not great, but he creates so much separation where he can get a shot off anyway. His three-point shot's been kind of off and on all season, but the kid is really talented. There's, I don't think anybody's sitting here questioning his talent. It's just, can we get it in, like, a functional sense consistently? Can we get it in, like, a pick-and-roll, making actual real reads? Very tough because USC plays the zone on defense, and then offensively, I mean, last night was kind of tough because, of course, UW always plays 2-3 zone. So you're not going to get those man pick-and-roll situations. It's more like off-ball, attacking gaps, and stuff like that. So you're not going to get the high-intellect plays a lot of the time. But I did like some of the passes. I just don't know what to do with him from like a, an IQ standpoint. The talent is there. It's just, is he really that good of a shooter? Is he really... Like, is he really that good of a defender? I think he's he gambles a ton. I don't see a lot of discipline in yeah. his game. So it's just like, I, I get people having him top five in the class just because you're like, okay, I don't see the upside with some of these other guys. Let's take a chance on this live ball dribble scoring talent, which he definitely has. But there's some there's a lot of variance here. I think you've said this very astutely in the past. Like, there's a, <laughs> like, between Nick Young and James Harden, for example. It's like, there's, people are assuming maybe if you take him in the top three, like some people have him there that he necessarily is going to reach this upside. You have to weigh the likelihood of success and like the likelihood of that actually happening. Yeah, uh, no doubt there. Uh, I am uh, very questionable on Kevin Porter. Uh, His ceiling is insane. His floor is out of the NBA within like three years. It's just there is he is the biggest variance 
in terms of like out prospect outcomes. I think of any prospect that I can remember. And I genuinely mean that. Like you told me he was a straight up all-star. I would buy that. If you told me he was out of the NBA yep. with three within three years, I would buy that. I, I just don't know where to go with him. I just don't know if he has enough feel for the game that I would typically bet on someone like that with all of the abilities to win and score and isolation and stuff like that. I, I just haven't seen enough yet from him to really buy really hard. And he's someone who, again, like you said, if he becomes an all-star, people are going to look back and be like, why did you have him so low? And it's like, if you watch the games in USC, like you can see why. Like I went with my buddy to the game last night and he was like, this is impossible like for most of the game like to, to analyze what this guy is because you can see the talent, but how does it really affect winning? How does it translate to the floor? It's, it's a very hard situation to analyze. Yeah. Uh, next, let's talk about the Kentucky guys. You mentioned that you wanted to talk about P.J. Washington, Tyler Hero, and Keldon Johnson. I think all three of them look like at least future first-round picks. Uh, I, I don't know when that future will be, 2019 or 2020, but you know, what do you think here? I mean, P.J., I think he's sparked a lot of conversation recently because he's had I think three really good games in a row and that's yep. kind of been the thing with him is he's super inconsistent the motor doesn't always run hot have to give him some credit though I mean he's refurbished his jump shot it looks much cleaner off the catch his three looks pretty good um, he's made some team defense plays some rotations um, he's finished some plays as far as retreating blocking shots and recovery situations He's produced lately, and he's a guy who, you know, obviously has the build. He has the requisite athleticism to play the four and, and some small ball five, and the, the shooting is really going to help his projection to the four because I think that's probably the position that coach is going to want to play him at. So you just have to give him some credit. Like some nights he does look like a lottery caliber prospect, especially in this class, but I, I just think for me it's a consistency thing. It's like if you're questioning the motor at times of a big, like that's a problem for me. Yeah, it's weird. Like – when his motor is running, it's really running. Like, he plays incredibly hard. But whenever it's not running, I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? Like, it's he, he's just not an effective player when the motor doesn't run. He Like, I think he ends up going in the first round. I think he ends up going, like, top 25 or so. Um, I Like I said to Oklahoma City, like, I sent him to Oklahoma City in the mock draft that I filed. And I was like, yeah, like, his upside is what? Like, Patrick Patterson, maybe, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, like that that kind of reminds me of Patrick Patterson a lot. Like he can shoot threes, he can uh defend a little bit when he wants to. He's smart, he can uh actually move his feet a little bit. It's but like he doesn't always do it. He's not the consistent athlete that you would think yes. he is. It's it, he's just a very weird weird projection to the next level. I totally agree, and I think he's more in line with some of the other kind of hybrid bigs in the class. Um, even like a Juwan Morgan type, I think you probably take PJ over him just with the shooting. But I think Juwan's like better all around player. But I don't, I don't think he's on the level of like a Grant Williams. I think he, those guys, Grant Williams, Brandon Clark, those guys are a tier ahead for me personally because you've seen it consistently and you know what you're getting on a nightly basis. You're getting that functional athleticism. You're getting that high skill level, high IQ. You're not getting it in flashes. I think PJ in flashes is fine, but flashes players to me, uh, there's just a little bit more risk with them. But at the end of the first round, I'm cool with PJ. I think that he's earned, you know, even anywhere from like 20 to 30. I think that he's fine in that range. I just wouldn't invest lottery capital in, in PJ. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Uh, Keldon and Hero, where do you want to go next? Let's do Keldon really quick. Like, what are what are your takeaways with him? Because I've like I've watched probably five games of his recently, and I've came to came away pretty fucking underwhelmed. So I, I like what he can do as a 
uh, defender. I actually think that he's going to be a really nice team defender at the next level. Maybe not quite a primary like stopper necessarily, um, but someone that can certainly. Sorry, my cat is like laying on my laptop right now and just like <laughs> making my life way more difficult than it should be. Um, yeah, I think that he's going to be a really good team defender. I buy the jump shot now. If you'd watch him at lower levels, uh, he was actually a pretty good passer too. He hasn't shown that at Kentucky yet, but he, I thought was always a pretty good playmaker for others within the concept of the team. I do worry about the athleticism. Like I know that he has those like big dunks where because he just plays so hard, they look so ferocious. They look like he is a crazy athlete. I don't really think he's that. And I 100% agree. I think that's my takeaway, too. I see it on defense and isolation, too. He always looks like he's trying hard. But, like, when you actually think about how often he really cuts off penetration, especially from athletes, like, he gets beat uh, quite a bit. And I, I love the effort. I love the fire that he plays with. But how it translates functionally to the floor at his size, he's not overwhelming as far as his stature. Like, he's just not. He's not DeAndre Hunter with these like really good high level measurables if you want him to be like a defensive stopper type i think he's more just a solid defender i've been i've been impressed with the shooting this year i think that his shooting to me is one of the most projectable parts of his game off the catch uh, yeah. he's shown enough there for me to be comfortable I mean, i'm not saying high level like off movement shooter but outside of that like you look at his offensive game i'm not enamored with the decision making he's made a lot of bad reads uh, like you said, the athleticism as far as breaking guys down one-on-one, getting to the rim, not sold there. Um, and if I'm not buying the defensive impact, it's just kind of like, okay, he's going to be solid on defense, but nothing special. I just think that's what he is as a prospect now. And I, I kind of was hoping he'd be more, but I just think he is nothing really special. He's fine, but like you're not – I wouldn't even have him in my top like two tiers now just because I don't know if you're getting any kind of plus value. It's just fine doesn't really cut it in the draft. So let's let, let's actually define those tiers. So like I have Zion in a tier, I have RJ and Ja in a tier right now, and then I have okay. like the big mess from Cam Reddish all the way down to I don't know, um, like KZ is a tier. So like he's okay. somewhere in that one. Yeah, for me, I have Zion in a tier, and then I have a big mess of like yeah. ten or eleven guys, and he's not in that tier. So that's kind of where I'm coming at. He's more in like the third tier. I don't know how I'll define it in the end, but he's outside of the guys that I'm, I consider like gets. So I think that this comes back to the fact that I'm comfortable in this draft getting a guy that I think is going to be a rotation player on the wing, uh, at okay. like number four or number 12 or whatever. Right. Like, I think I had him at number eight, number nine, number 11, something like that. Um, in my most recent mock, uh, I, I'm just comfortable getting a guy that I think can be a fifth starter at that spot. Because I think that that's like he can be a secondary wing starter who takes on tougher defensive assignments, who makes shots, who can attack a little bit off the bounce. And hopefully he can continue to add just a little bit of quickness. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair that's a fair argument. Just for me, he's not that guy for me in this class. Like for me, that's like Hunter, that's Romeo Langford right. even over him. Like I just think that they're like the fifth starter type. I think Keldon's more of like a, a bench rotation, but he's a wing. So I, I would still have him in the first round because of the reasons you noted. I just I've been kind of disappointed. And as someone who came into the season, I think you're on this um, wagon with me as far as having him like the latter half of the top 10, like somewhere around like eight, nine, yeah. 10. I can't remember. Like, that's where I was. And now I'm like, I, he's not really even a lottery guy. Like I can probably come up with like 17, 18 guys in this class who I'd rather have. OK, so, yeah, let's I just kind of want to give this uh, a quick little run through Kobe White. Oh, boy. I think I would take Keldon over Kobe White. I'm getting closer on Kobe White to liking him. I'll say that uh, every, so I've talked to uh, 
quite a few ACC coaches this year, and every single one to a man has said <laughs> that guy is way better than what we thought he was on tape. He is way faster. He's way bigger. Like he's just better than what we thought. So that's like throwing me a little bit on him. Uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Uh, Kelvin Johnson. Jonte uh, Porter. You're going to take Jonte. Yes. Brandon Clark. Easily Clark by a significant amount. Uh, Casey Apollo. Uh, I would still take Keldon there, but that's beginning to be an argument for me. Jackson Hayes. Easily Jackson Hayes. Uh, Rui Hachimura. Oh, boy. I, I would take Keldon. <laughs> um, but, like, we're at the point where, okay, so, like, you have Darius Garland ahead. You have Ja ahead yes. probably, right? Yes. Uh, Jarrett Culver and then, like, Easily. DeAndre and all those guys, right? Um, Correct. You're probably, you probably, without realizing it, probably have him at, like, 14 or so. It could be, honestly. If yeah. you really put like a board bowl, together. Bowl. But I would t- I, yeah, that's really interesting. He's in that tier for me. Like that kind of like third tier. Yeah, I mean, you can get guys like I have Trey Jones ahead of him pretty easily. So you can probably aggregate guys and get to like 18, 19 guys. I'm just trying to make a conceptual point that I don't think he's like a get in the draft. I think he's fine, but like no if you're a team, I'm not like excited about taking Keldon Johnson at like 15 or 16 in the class. It just doesn't move the right. needle for me. And I think that I said like in my write up where I had him going at like in the top 12 somewhere, I was like, this is yeah. probably the least sexy pick in this draft. It kind of is. I yeah. mean, that's how I feel like watching him. is I don't see any special qualities unless he becomes this like nuclear shooter. And it's just not a lot to go on so far to suggest he can get to that level. Um, hero. You want to talk about hero as well? Yeah, he's gotten some publicity recently. I think some guys have even said like he's the best prospect on Kentucky, which if you look at his projectability to the next level, it's not like completely insane because he has the movement shooting. He no. moves super well off the ball, like really well off the ball. Like he can play off dribble handoffs. He knows how to free himself off screens. Um, he can make shots. If you think he's like a great shooter, I can see that argument. I just think he's got he's gotten a little bit more pub recently. I, I think some guys are considering him maybe on the precipice of the first round, and I don't think it's absolutely crazy. No, if, if he would enter this draft, I would imagine he'll probably test the waters in this draft. Uh, I, I would think that he would get a real chance to go at, at the end of the first round. Uh, having said that, if I was him, I would return. I, I think he yeah. could be a lottery pick next season. And that's just because next year's draft is not super crazy. And because I think he's a guy in year two, uh, his shooting is just going to skyrocket. Because it seems like uh, you know early in the year, he was kind of rushing a little bit. And he still hasn't totally figured out the rhythm and the speed of the game yet. As soon as he figures out that game, I think he's going to just be an absolute monster. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. In this class, I haven't seen too much of this guy because he's an international. I usually watch them after the college season, but I've seen enough. I think Servetus is the guy, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the yeah. guy that I would take over here, Hero. Like for that role, if, if this is what we're talking about, I take the bigger guy who I just feel better about his overall feel level. So that's just kind of where I come down on it. But I can get the allure of some guys having him, you know, fringe first round, top 40, because he has a projectable NBA skill set. Yeah, so Servetus in this scenario, uh, I don't think he moves quite as well as Hero without the ball, but he's obviously like three inches bigger. So he's able to yes. shoot over guys, uh, which obviously helps. Uh Probably is, hmm, it's weird because they're going to guard different players. I kind of buy heroes just athleticism a little bit more than Servetus. Like, I think that he just okay. moves a little bit more fluidly. That seems to be the reaction from people that I trust that have seen him. So that aligns. I would just take the size and the ability to shoot. And some of the skill things that Servetus has shown, I would just tend to favor bigger wings like that who could really shoot the ball off movement, have some off-the-dribble pull-up game and stuff like that. So I guess that's just a personal preference. But that's the kind of player, I think, and the kind of role that Hero's going to play at the next level. So that's, 
I, I just again, I just don't think it's crazy to have him in that range and someone who has kind of been up and down on a lot of people's boards all year because some people were high on him. I think in the Bahamas he played pretty well. I've seen him to hoop summit and he was he was really bad. Like he looked like probably one of the worst prospects there. Frankly, like he didn't really belong with the other guys. But there's been times this year where he's looked really good. Like I think there was a Louisville game earlier this year where he was really really good. So he definitely has some positive flashes and somebody who who could just probably be on radars maybe a little bit more than he is. Uh, next, let's talk about Ja Moran against Belmont. This will not be long just because Ja did not play uh, really all that much in this game at full health. He got hurt, uh, I want to say, within the first three or four minutes. So, I don't, I, I mean, like, I, I look at this as a scenario where uh, it would, it just wasn't a super valuable game, I guess is the way to put it for me. Uh, for Windler, uh, Windler was fine in this game. He just, didn't play super well offensively. Uh, he did all of the little things. He defends, he rebounds, he passes really well. He's just, for whatever reason, in these big moments, in these big games for his stock, he just hasn't shot and scored well. Yeah, and that's going to matter a lot for him, I think, in the draft process. Is he's got to have a couple of those games where he just really goes off against high-level competition. He's missed some shots. I mean, there's a lot to like with him. I think his defensive footwork's pretty good, even though he's not like an uber-athlete. Um, but he... He definitely moves better than I think he gets credit for, even though he's a little bit stiff. For Morant, I only brought this up because I wanted to ask you a question. How much do you think the ankle injury actually impacted him functionally in that game? Quite a bit. He he just didn't buzz around in the same way that he typically does. He he's you know typically he has that crazy burst. I didn't think he really had that that night. Yeah, I think the burst thing is. I think it impacted him some, but I don't think it was to the level of like you just throw away the sample. Like he was still doing athletic plays like he would limp like after the play but like during it i felt like he didn't lose much like as far as elevating around the rim that was like a common theme for the broadcast it's like he's not really that explosive off one foot you know what i mean and i thought that was kind of over that was over exaggerated a little bit like oh we have to throw this out because you know he's injured and i I didn't really see it impact him to like a concerning level functionally but i do agree maybe he lost a little bit of uh speed a little bit of agility with the ball i still think you can read some into it but i'm not to the level of a lot of guys are like you know, that was a complete throwaway because he wasn't fully healthy or he wasn't healthy at all. I think it's more like he lost a little bit, but not to the level that some people thought he did. Sure. I guess like with me, it's just, it's like a small ankle injury. I just don't know why you would, even if there's a chance that he was slightly hindered, they were playing against like the 150th best defense in the country. We have other sample (laughs) where he's healthy. So let's just go with that. You know what I mean? hundred percent. Yeah, that's well said. Um, who else did you want to mention here? We've got Kansas guys. Who do you want to talk about on Kansas? Yeah, I was just, I mean, they've obviously lost a few games in a row. I watched the Texas game. Um, Diedrich couldn't really do much against Hayes until the very end where he smoked him twice. <laughs> Pretty bad. On, I think there was one spin move and whatnot. I just wanted to gauge your where you are with all of these guys. Like, is Lawson a top 60 guy? Where do you have Grimes now? It's really hard because he's not even closing games sometimes still. Where are you at with all these guys? I have Quentin Grimes in the he should transfer from Kansas boat. Um, it, oh, it we're there. Somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, this, this is why I want remi- to ask you this. <laughs> so this is, this reminds me a lot of the Malik Newman situation at Mississippi State. Like that's what okay. I keep coming back on, uh, keep coming back to on this because the reason that I say that is they're not similar players, but Malik just didn't seem to be the right fit offensively. And then he found a fit at Kansas where, you know, they let him, you know, kind of operate as that off ball wing. Grimes is a little bit more of an on-ball player than an off-ball player. And I think that he needs to be able to operate on the ball more than he does at Kansas 
to show his full potential. Now, having said that, like you might take that as me saying, oh, Bill Self is like screwing this kid over. I'm not saying that at all. I actually think that Bill Self has done what he is thinks is right for his team. I think it's totally reasonable for Bill Self to like try and play Quentin Grimes, see if he has it a night, and then play him 15 minutes in a game if he doesn't. Uh, that, that's a very reasonable outcome in my opinion. And I think that there's also an extent to which Quentin Grimes has to learn to play off the ball and this season will help him develop long-term. Getting to play this season with Kansas, getting this shock therapy into playing in the Big 12, one of the better leagues in the country, and having to learn to play away from the basketball next to Devon Dotson, I think there's value in that for him long-term in his development. But with Devon Dotson there, and I don't think either of us think Devon Dotson is a one-and-done, right? I don't personally, no. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So... Devon Dawson's going to be there next year. He's probably going to be there for two or three years. I just don't really see when Grimes is going to get the chance to do what I think he needs to show. So if I was him, I would look into transferring. Just It's not a statement on Bill Self. It's not a statement on Kansas. It's not a statement on Quentin Grimes. I just don't think it's a great fit. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that he would probably benefit. I mean, he would definitely benefit maybe with a, a new setting. It's just really hard with him right now. Like, because you have the pedigree, you know, he played well at Hoop Summit. You know, he's a top six, top seven guy entering the year. If he enters the draft, do you think he actually gets drafted or does he have to, to transfer? Is that really what he has to do at this point? I would take him in the second round for sure, but I, I don't know if other teams feel that way. I mean, it's a really good question. But at yeah. some point, I, I'm just kind of waiting on him. Like I've talked to a lot of college coaches about him, but I've yet to like really go deep with NBA scouts. I'm just waiting to see what he does, honestly. Yeah, 100%. I, I just think it's interesting to check up on some of these guys. I don't – what about Lost? I don't know if you answered that yet. Do you, where do you have him? Do you have him ranked? Like where where would you take him? Somewhere in the 60-ish range. Um, yeah, you just can't get okay. separation. He can't shoot. He's not a great defender, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a, I'm kind of out on him, and, and that kills me again, just because I, I love smart players. They were skilled, but I, I just don't yeah. know if he meets the athleticism threshold. So weird season for Kansas, who I think came into the year they were the number one team, correct? They did come into the year as the number one team. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, proved to be incorrect. <laughs> yeah, and like, look, Yudoka got hurt. I think that there is something yep. to that. Um, like he was their offense in a lot of ways. Th- their problem is that uh, LeGerald Vick was hot early and then he went LeGerald Vick. Uh, Marcus Garrett can't play any sort of offense. The, have you seen uh, Ogbai at all yet? I have. He's really interesting. He's, he, he's done some real things for them. He might be a pro in like two years. He's very yes. interesting to me. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he's de- he's definitely popped the last couple of games I've seen of them. He's really, really interesting. Yeah, like he should probably be getting all of Quentin Grimes' minutes. He's a better fit in that scheme. Like, I don't know if he's a better prospect long term yet, but he's a better fit in that scheme. Yeah, he's a better player right now. So if you're Bill Self and you're trying to win games, like that's the move you got to make. I mean, some of the stuff I can kind of identify with the prospects if they go to a school and they're promised a starting spot or at least a, a very good chance of getting that. But you have to try to win games if you're a college coach, too. It's not just about the prospect, right? I mean, that's their job is to put the best possible team on the floor. So it's kind of an interesting balance there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's all that we had brought up originally. Uh, go read my mock draft at The Athletic. That would be good. That would help keep me employed. So go subscribe <laughs> to The Athletic. Um, is there anyone else you want to talk about? I'm honestly, that was it for me. The rest of the guys we've already covered pretty in depth. I haven't seen too many huge matchups recently to touch on guys i mean like 
Grant Williams, we've talked about. He had that 43-point game. I don't think we talked about that before, but that's just Grant Williams. We've covered him pretty in-depth. Anybody that you want to I will say this, too, about the Grant Williams game. That was not a particularly translatable game, I didn't think, because he got it, like, all from the foul line, all – uh, a just lot. Kinda, yeah, like pounding inside. Uh, it was it was not a it was a great game. He did what he needed to do to get Tennessee the win. That was not a super translatable game to me. Um, Aaron Neesmith. Can we talk about Aaron Neesmith? Yes, let's do that. We forgot to do that last time, I think. Yeah, Aaron Neesmith is awesome. He is for sure a pro. Uh, at some point, he will be a 2020 first rounder on my mock draft uh, whenever I do that. Yep, I'm with you. I think I'm going to write about him in the next couple of days. Some really interesting shot diversity for him coming off movement. He's had some step backs this year. Just a lot of shots that you don't see a lot of. I don't know if he's 18 or 19, but you don't see a lot of players that young already adept at footwork wise, balance wise, comfort wise. I think he's the best um, current prospect on Vanderbilt as far as their current roster of course with Garland leaving I think he's a better prospect at this point than Shetu is it fair to say agree I agree I just think a wing who can shoot like that I want to see what he can do more we saw Neesmith in the beginning of the season he had like this one pick and roll split where he kicked it out to the corner I want to see a bit more playmaking I hope he gets that opportunity next year is Saban Lee is he a junior I I don't know what he is Saban Lee is a sophomore Um, okay there has been some excitement in like draft circles i guess but i'm just i don't he's like soup he gets to the free throw line like constantly and i just don't see that translating at the next level he's a really good slasher like he's got a good first step he's pretty athletic but like the shot i just don't buy mechanically i just don't buy it so i wouldn't invest a lot of capital i was just curious for neesmith because Kevin lee is probably going to run the point i mean he's their primary how much opportunities is he going to have on the ball around lee i kind of want to see what more he can do playmaking wise yeah no question i'm with you there um yeah let me see. Is there anyone else randomly that I want to bring up? Uh, oh, I, I think I told someone I'd talk about Nemius Quetta. Have you watched any Utah State? I've seen two games a while back, yes. I think he's very good. Uh, I think he is like two years down the road a pro. I can definitely see that. He moves a little bit better than I thought he would, frankly. Yep. Um, not the most fluid, but a little bit better than I was expecting. And obviously, he just blocks out the sun as a rim protector. I can't remember which game I watched. It was one of the ones against the more high-profile team. And you saw guys try to finish over him, and it wasn't happening. Yeah, he's very, very good at the basket. Uh, and the number that I can give you on Nemi Esquata. So Utah State this year is third in the country in two-point percentage allowed at 43%. And when Quetta is on the floor, teams shoot 39.1% from two-point range. <laughs> Not surprising. He is incredible <laughs> at the basket. Um, now, like because there's some weird, funky things happening with uh, Utah State's like defensive three-point percentage when he's on the floor, like teams are shooting a normal 35.6% when he's on it, and then it drops to 23.1%, just is a variance thing. Utah State is only seven points better per 100 possessions when he's on the floor, uh, 0.88 points uh, per 100 possession or point per possessions allowed. Yeah, he's really good. He's a very, very good defender. Yep. I'm in, I'm in on him as a long-term prospect. He's still pretty raw. want to see if he can do... I, I haven't really gotten a good feel for his touch around the basket. He's made a couple nice dribble moves. I want to see what... Or not dribble moves, but finishing moves as far as like drop steps in the post and stuff like that. So I want to see a little bit more from him and like what he can do offensively. But he, he has enough intrigue there. I think that if he were to come out this year, I know he's not going to, or at least I'm pretty sure he's not going to. I'd probably have him in the top 60. This is kind of an intriguing play but again we talked about the value of like upside bigs or kind of developmental bigs and i think he's definitely that in my opinion the last guy i want to bring up is jordan wara 
Uh, you and I have talked about him offline before, and I was like a little bit questionable then. I am somewhat less questionable now. Um, I okay. kind of I kind of like him like a real amount. He has a very polished, well-developed offensive game, a very, very smart driving game, despite the fact that uh, realistically, like he is their like only true floor spacing option. Like Cunningham can hit shots, but he's really their point guard. Um, you know, like Dwayne Sutton's like a 36% three-point shooter. He's fine. Malik Williams can space the floor at 34% from the center position. But like, he's a very crafty finisher inside, despite the fact that like teams mostly will crowd the paint whenever he drives. And then additionally, he's just like a lights out shooter. He, he is an absolutely lights out shooter. The thing that I do question is the athleticism and quickness. He has gotten a lot more athletic from year one to year two though. So I do wonder if there is still something in there that can make him like a real, uh, a better defender long-term maybe. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't seen him and I don't think probably a month and a half. So my memory is not, exactly clear but i remember his release point gave me some issues as far as it being lower and a little bit away from his face i thought he got Definitely bothered low. a couple times yeah yep. he's, he's got a good he's got a good shot so i trust him there but can he get it off at volume i think he's going to be more of a three-point shooter attacks closeouts but i did like some of the craft i saw as a finisher some of the drives were kind of interesting so someone i, I can't remember who they're playing this weekend but i think it's on my to-do list as far as watching so i'll get to his tape yeah and then um uh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to bring up. I'll just mention Aaron Wiggins is interesting. A little bit interesting. Oh, 100% agree. I think yeah. he's definitely someone to monitor. You're going to he's going to be overshadowed a lot. I think he comes off the bench still, right? So he's kind of overshadowed yeah. by Jalen Smith, Bruno Fernando. Definitely someone to keep an eye on as a shooter. Yeah, he's he's more inconsistent than these other guys that we've talked about. But long term, like you know, 2021 draft, he's interesting. Um, the last thing that I want to bring up here in regard to the Knicks, <laughs> I'm doing one more thing on the Knicks here <laughs> that I feel like we didn't really talk about is the opportunity cost of trading Tim Hardaway and Courtney Lee in this deal versus like just attaching a pick. Because I do think that they could have attached a pick to move these guys. Like if you trade a 2021 first round pick for these guys, I think that you could have done that instead of just trading Kristaps. Because it's very unlikely, even if the Knicks are still a fucking trash fire uh, in 2021, which, you know, who knows at this stage, now that they do have double max cap spaces. I think that you still could have done this then. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, we'll see about what protections would be on that pick. I mean, I don't think they're going to deal it for an unprotected to get off salary, but if they could do it for like top five protected moving forward maybe that's something they could entertain I, I i do agree that's a definitely a vantage point that probably should be considered here yeah like your opportunity cost is a 2021 first round pick or Kristaps porzingis just move the pick you know i mean maybe they tried i guess but weren't reports earlier in this year that they didn't want to attach something to those guys to move them oh i'm sure that that was the report for sure um yeah so yeah I think that I just wanted to bring up the opportunity cost of it all because I feel like that is something that's important to discuss and we didn't talk about it enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, just tying in an earlier point, there, there's got to be some relationship stuff at play here as far as maybe bridges were burned and that was a factor as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cole, tell the people what's going on in your life. <laughs> Not as much as this trade in this day on NBA Twitter, which has been ridiculous doing this live pod. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, for me, 
uh, look at work on the step I'm going to try to get rankings updated there at some point over the foreseeable future next week or so. Uh, we'll have an article out at some point about DeAndre Hunter as well as Neesmith, who we talked about today. And as usual, continue to listen to this podcast. All right. Uh, go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. Uh, sorry that this podcast was so scatterbrained. I think it's actually going to end up being just a mess. So great. Uh, until next time, though, we'll talk <laughs> soon. Bye.